Hello and welcome to episode number two of European UFOs. I'm your host Sebastian and if you like this episode then please make sure to subscribe and leave a review, it really helps. I couldn't be happier to kick off this first round of interviews, not just with one, but with two very exciting topics. Firstly, Fatima, or what could be described as the first mass UFO sighting of the 20th century. And secondly, the Stella Project, a project which is dedicated to the scientific and interdisciplinary analysis of anomalous phenomena. Here with me to discuss these topics are two Portuguese researchers of outstanding caliber. Firstly, Joachim Fernandes, who is a retired professor at the University of Fernando Pessoa, Porto, and co-founder of the Center of Transdisciplinary Studies of Consciousness, CTEC, as well as the co-editor of the journal Consciences. He holds a master's degree in history and modern history, focusing on religiosity and spirituality in Portugal in the 17th century. He has a PhD in history of science with a thesis on extraterrestrial imagery in Portuguese culture from modernity until the mid-19th century, presented to the Faculty of Arts, University of Porto. Coincidentally, this was the first dissertation of this kind delivered to a European academic institute. His most recent research projects include the identification and characterization of sources and currents of unorthodox thought in Portugal between the last decades of the 19th century and the first decades of the 20th century under the First Portuguese Republic. He has been the international coordinator of the project Marian, based at the CTEC Center, which studies the cultural and scientific aspects of religious apparitional phenomena, such as those at Fatima in 1917. Since 1997, he has promoted various international conferences, forming part of the conference series Frontiers of Science at the University of Fernando Pessoa. He has also co-organized the conference Science and Consciousness, which was proposed by the Bile Foundation and incorporated into the program of the Porto 2001 European Capital of Culture. Our second guest is Francisco Moura Correa, and he will give us a glimpse into the Stella project. He has a university background in management and marketing and developed a keen interest in the possibility of intelligent life on other planets from a young age. With dedication and persuasion, he studied the history of both Portuguese and international UFO cases, and over time, he was able to meet with most of the pioneer researchers in Portugal, developing a respectful relationship with them, which soon became genuine and lasting friendships. Feeling a sense of stagnation in the field of ufology, unmotivated by the activism of people like Stephen Greer, Stephen Bassett, or Paola Harris, Francisco founded the Portuguese Exopolitics Initiative in 2001, which was later registered as a non-for-profit organization. Over the years, in coordination and with the support of CTEC, Francisco has co-organized several conferences at the University of Fernando Pessoa with known international speakers. He has also given lectures at UFO conferences in Brazil, the Czech Republic, Denmark, Germany, San Marino, Spain, and the UK. Francisco has been involved in several TV documentaries that have been filmed in Portugal, including UFO Europe and Planet UFO, both of which were for the National Geographic Channel. He also appeared in Extraterrestres, season one, two, and three for the History Channel. 
He has participated in numerous news segments of Portuguese TV, as well as being a guest on many radio talk shows. He is also an occasional contributor to UFO Truth magazine, which is based in the UK. Francisco is a co-founder and Europe's director of ISA, an international organization registered in Portugal with members from 30 countries from six continents. Well, it's a real pleasure to have both of you on the podcast. I've been really looking forward to this for a very long time, given that, you know, as is usual with the podcast, uh, we have lots of topics to talk about, especially today, but only a finite amount of time. I would like to kick off this podcast with talking about the very intriguing case of Fatima 1917. Here, because it is a very complex case involving multiple UP sightings, a mass sighting, actually, close encounters. I would kindly ask you, Joachim, to set the scene and to really give our listeners a very broad overview before we focus in on, on the very nitty-gritty details of it. What actually happened and what was Fatima, the site, like in 1917? Okay, it's okay. A brief sketch of the, the events to say, to remember to the people that do not know the, the issue, that on May 13, 1917, in a desert place in deep Portugal, Covadeira, in the province of Extremadura, three children, Lúcia dos Santos and the brothers Francisco Marto and Jacinta Marto, aged nine and seven, cousins of the first, later of mass on Sunday, they took their flock of sheep to a plot of land two kilometers from the home of Lucia's parents, who was then 10 years old. They lunched and prayed the rosary before they shot wood games. Suddenly, an explosion of light flooded the barren landscape. Lucia feared that was a sign of thunder and they prepared to return, to return home. But a new flash of lightning made them notice a very pretty little woman on a small home oak tree surrounded by an intense glow. This is the beginning of the, the events, of course. For the next six months, the frightened little shepherds were summoned by the blinding entity to that very spot. At the end of that period, the mysterious visitor would say who she was and what she wanted. That kind of very beautiful doll, as Lucia also described it, was not identified, but little Jacinta anticipated that was Mary of Nazareth, mother of Jesus Christ. Perhaps influenced by his uncle, for whom the alleged lady could only be our lady who had ascended to heaven almost 2,000 years ago. And the voice of the people folded her and spread the rumor. After July 13 apparition, the press and the region identify yet the woman in white as Our Lady for the first time, spreading the suggestion of a miracle of Fatima. On September 27, 1917, Canon Manuel Fumigan, the first priest chronicle of Fatima events, entered the scene. The priest would later sign his literary works with the pseudonym of Visconde de Montello, wanted to know from Lucia if she had 
questioning the luminous visitor about her identity. Lucia replied, I asked, but she declared that she would only say on October 13. After all, who could the pretty little woman dressed in white be? Mary of Nazareth herself in a physical body as she was 2,000 years ago. An inner vision of Virgin Mary, as suggested by Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, Joseph Ratzinger, a sophisticated manifestation of the unknown intelligence or reality, or just a recurrent childhood fantasy. The certainty assumed by believers regarding the identification of the little woman in white as a living manifestation of Maria Danzere remained indisputable and practically impossible to discuss until 1978 when a Portuguese secular historian, Dr. Fina Armada, managed to assess the archives of the Santuary of Fatima. In total, seven groups of new documents were then reexaminated for the first time by eyes other than those of Catholic religious and theologians. So this is the, the first picture that I put here to begin the discussion. Thanks a lot for this overview. So I think that there the complexity already um, shows itself because we have a close encounter associated on the one hand with children and on the other hand with this kind of message to return. So there's already sort of an instruction going on there, which is very interesting. So just to summarize, so we have these three children, they witness this entity, the entity gives them instructions. And importantly, the entity has not been, if I summarize this correctly, identified as the Virgin Mary per se by the children. Is that correct? So the children themselves never said it's the Virgin never Mary. Never said that was Lady, uh, Our Lady of Fatima, Mother of Jesus, of course. Very intriguing, perhaps picking up on that point. So what was the original description given by the children? Yes. It's, it's a point, very important point, because the truth is that only in 1992, with the supervision of Catholic University, those responsible for the Santuary of Fatima would make the first volume of the document, the documentary collection of the apparitions, testimony, available to the public. Thus, the first volume of the so-called critical documentation of Fatima appeared before the eyes of the public, much more integral than critical. But even so, a first basis of historical heuristics available for secular multidisciplinary research. It's the first point of the part of our research. Today, it is for any publicist to, to dissect and compare the different accounts of the three small protagonists of Fatima, or before Covideria, as it's called, deducing legible and obvious contradictions and omissions in the course of the entire process of doctrinal reconstruction around the apparitions that Sister Lucia's late memories crowned in a notorious way. It was really difficult in 1978 to break through the barriers of an atavistic Catholicism, the Gilles' garden of the main protagonist of the phenomena in 1917, reclusive in the monastic shadows, then prevent from beginning 
interview by researchers, secular researchers, of course, when the author of these lines challenged Fina Armada to invest in a theme that projects itself into the universe of the sacred feminine and with symbolic dimensions and not only of women in Portuguese history. It was on the basis of these original interviews, potentially preserved from the natural clerical contamination of the inquiries of that time, the first inquiries, of course, that we were able to reconstruct the portrait, always subjective, it should be noted, of this very beautiful lady in a white that gave light. Remark, a very beautiful lady in a white that gave light. Based on the initial scripts of Lucia and their cousins, which appears in the first integration made by parish priest of Fatima in May 19, May 29, sorry, 1917, we sketch the fallen portrait. It was a very beautiful female figure with black eyes enveloped in a blinding light. It was about 1.1 meters tall and appeared to be between 12 and 15 years old. She was wearing a skirt, white and gold, with lit strings running from top to bottom and across. A cape-like mantle, a cape-like mantle that descended to the edge of the dress that did not exceed the knees. Remark this point, it's very important to the iconographic statue of Mary we can see in Santuary today. He had something on his head that covered his ears and hair. A string with luminous bow hung from her neck at waist height. He did have facial movements or move his lip, his lips when he spoken, he spoken or his lower limbs when he walked away from his back facing upwards. Certainly a vision of Nazareth, little or not at all recognizable by this typical description that in course of falling years did not cease to worry the clerical direct close to the seer, uh, Lucy, of course. The orthodoxy of these props and canonical clothing would require inevitable corrections. Above all, the dress length was gradually censored and ratified by the clerical inspires of the 1917 apparition orthodoxy. Of course, we can see that in the figure reproduced in Santuary because the the dress is down until the the fits, of course. So the reconstruction figure, based on the first description transmitted by the seers to the priests of Fatima Manuel Marx. I think that's very helpful also because, as you said, this description comes from the same year, so it hasn't been diluted by all, you know, kind of sort of Catholic uh, interpretations and also the attempt by the Catholic Church to seize the narrative. So that's that's very intriguing. So I have actually two questions about the description. The one is, apart from, as you already mentioned, that the being communicated not in a verbal or oral way so that already suggests that something is um, kind of paranormal or anomalous about this apparition is there anything else 
about this apparition that points really to the fact that, hey, this is something of high strangeness. Because, you know, critics might say, oh, you know, three small children, they probably fantasized playing. And is there anything about the apparition itself that in the description that points to a case of high yes, strangeness? Yes. We, can, we can point out some, something very strange indeed for the knowledge of the that, the history, the Portugal, the deep mm. Portugal, the peasant Portugal, humble and angry people of the locals. So we can say that is the first point of strangeness. This The lady spoke like a buzzing bee. It's a detail that was not remarked only by the little seers, but only the people was around the little seers. Is something that was heard by the other people and other the little three cousins. So, regardless of the impression conjectures about the ultimate nature of so-called Marian apparition, the fact is that we find in these extraordinary situations of the wonderful Christian all the psychological, physiological symptoms correlative to the so-called modifi- modified states of consciousness widely experienced by both mystics and lay subjects, of course. In the case of Sears in Fatima, especially in Lucia, this was no exception, and we have ample information about them. In Lucia dos Santos, all the t- typical side effects of so-called contactist syndrome are concentrated and exposed. Therefore, it became pertinent to compare this experience of a religious and parareligious nature with similar experiences of the contemporary and profane contactees and equal of classic Christian mystics of other faiths or all other faiths. As is known, Lucia claimed to have received during her meeting with Latin in White a sequence of messages that she understood in Portuguese. What communication process could have been occurring in this dialogue between two different realities and ontologic realities? Is there any way to confirm this communication at Fatima? Witness presents on the various days 13 of the series of six apparitions, as you know, reported very specific auditory sensations that can now be interpreted in theoretical terms. More than that, they are been replicated in laboratory experiments. See, whenever and only when Lucia said that lady was speaking to her without moving her lips, it should be emphasized that devotees present around the Omoke recorded the external auditory sensation of a buzzing noise like a bee or a fly in size of a pitcher. This phenomenon objective was reaffirmed by different eyewitnesses present around the small old oak where the lady would be sighted. Manuel Pedro Marto, father of Jacinta and Francisco, in July 1917 at the site of apparitions, stated, Then I began to hear a rumble, a buzz like a fly in an empty pitcher. It's as far away or is close by. I ask myself, it was Finn Armada, it was Christian uh, uh, this witness. This she it said, it was like what you hear need a behave, 
more harmonious, although you could not understand the words. Of course, it was intelligible. Maria Carreira, a friend of Lucia, was born in the region and accompanied the apparitions, described it herself. We followed the children and knelt in the middle of the bush. Lucia raised her hands and said, You sent me here. What do you want from me? And then a hum, like a bee, began to be heard. It take care that it was the late speaking, for it was heard very well. Interviewed by Fina Armada in 1978, Maria dos Anjos, Lucia's sister, also referred to the strange noise that manifests itself during Lucia's conversations with the lady. Maria dos Anjos said, I heard it too, but I don't know what it was. As a single bee or a swarm? No, only one. Only one bee, she said. Do you remember what month that was? I don't know anymore. I didn't go there every month. But I look little, little bee that went around like then when she, Lucia listened to the lady. But I don't know what it was. So, bee buzzing, mosquito sounds, insects in resounding fly on a stage of apparitions. Picturesque vocabulary of uh, local folklore or something else. What does the available scientific data say? North American and European entomologists have long studied the various types of honeybees and identify a range of sound frequencies produced by those insects between 200 and 300 hertz, roughly speaking. An intriguing coincidence since this frequency very close to those recording in lab tests in which individuals subject to a modulated emissions of microwaves heard noises of the type buzzing inside their heads. Their heads. So it's very impressive. In other words, the testimony of Fatima and scientific records in lab coincide and could not be invented because especially by those humble country people of the poor Portugal in 1917. It was not being invented. It should be noted that this bang of bees always and only occur when the lady seemed to speak to Lucia, but without moving her lips as the seer, the seer underlines. In any case, the buzzing effect covering an external audible area by those presents in a small area around the own oak. So the lady spoke neither Hebrew nor Portuguese. She made himself understood through a medium unknown to us and which produced an audible hum from the outside by the assistants closest to the little seers. This type of communication from the luminous lady to Lucia appears to be consistent with the hypothesis of reception of signals and information directly in the human brain, as we can explain later by the contemporary research, of course. The main important signal that this strange noise that could not be invented, not attributed to bees in the natural field around Fatima, of course, in nature. Yeah, thank, thanks a lot for this very um, detailed description. I think it really points to the high strangeness factor that we have with this case. So here we have three children witnessing something that is 
obviously uh, highly anomalous associated with cognitive effects that can't be replicated or couldn't be replicated at that time, which obviously is an objective criterion for the reality of this of this phenomenon. Following up on the buzzing sound and especially uh, Lucia, so from what I gathered, there were multiple meetings. A, do we know what they talked about? And B, uh, why Lucia? Has anyone else of so have the other two children, which I believe were her cousins, heard anything? So was there a clear message with these other two children or did they only hear a buzzing? Someone else, it's very important witness that Finland Armada discovery in 1978 that uh, she was called the fourth seer. It's connection with uh, a kind of angel, a little, a little being uh, known and uh, denominated as angel, with whom she had a telepathic kind of communication. It's a very important uh, witness and uh, surprising witness, of course, because Finland uh, uh, Armada did not expect to find any fourth witness but very close and, to the to the three three cousins, and I believe um, that witness that what witness was still alive, right? You interviewed. Yes, uh, in that correct. Time, That's is, amazing. Uh, yeah. Is uh, named Carolina Carreira, is the fourth seer. It's unknown fourth seer, absolutely unknown by the priests that investigate and research the the initial Fatima events. Someone else that was put apart the the research. The, the the Catholic the religious research in the uh, its inquires. It was in the document from an official interrogatories of 1923 that we came to know that Carolina Carrera, with then tw- uh, twelve years old, in the company of a country woman named Conceição, aged seven, had seen on the morning of July 28, 1917, next to the home oak of contact a kind of angel of small stature with a white dress, very beautiful and with golden hair down to her neck. This angel normally walked from one side to the other around the Dolm Oak tree and resembled a child between 7 and 10 years old. Interviewed by Fendarmada, Carolina Carreira recalled her entire experience, very important experience. Suddenly, he began to feel a kind of a pill or order inside his head. Go there and say three early Marys. Go there and say three early Marys. In Triget, she asked her companion if she heard the same thing, but Conceição, little companion, said she didn't hear anything. What most intrigued Carolina was the insistent order or that voice that seemed to be sounding inside her. This mental suggestion induced in the inside of Ed is not original, as you see. It is repeated in the catalog contacts with the entities of unknown origin, if even in the profane form. Likewise, it is legitimate suspect that between the prayer and the vision itself, this mental suggestion induced inside of head is not original to Fatima. Likewise, we, we learn this can, kind of contact and the emission, mental emission with the entities of unknown origin, even, as I say, in the profound forum. Likewise, 
it is legitimate to suspect that between the prayer and the vision itself, there is a complementarity and interdependence. The imaginal world, a third territory between two worlds, seems to emerge here in a bridge between the normal reality of the visible world and another, another dimension inaccessible to common senses. A question, a very important question arises here. Would Lucia be a child with sensitive mediumistic abilities? Spiritist opinion says yes and interprets what happened in Fatima as a Christic manifestation and not a physical presence of the Virgin of Nazareth. The little seers would be executors of a prophetic message related to the time with emphasis on the great war that was, of course, during. So this is a prophetic extension, of course, reading by the spiritists, uh, spiritualists' opinion in Portugal that made a very important test and reception and interested message about the, the Fatima message itself. And it is important. This message was previously told in the media, in the journals in Portugal. Makes some confusion, of course, because what interest would be the spiritist movement to call to it the interpretation of Fatima events. It was make no sense because they could not get some profit of the manifestation itself because, as you know, this profit was all itself made by the Catholic Church, of course. Excellent. Thanks a lot. So in perhaps focusing on the content of this interaction that both Lucia and then the fourth witness had, but the fourth witness with a different entity, and this interaction that Lucia had with that pretty lady happened, I think, five or six times. And how can we imagine it? Was it like a dialogue or was it that she was kind of, was it an indoctrination? Was this being telling her things, but she couldn't ask questions? How can we imagine this sort of conversation? I think all the message that was published, known by people, in our days, including after the Pope, tentative of assassination of the Pope, it was very, very extensively studied by Fiendarman and myself in the new book that we published in 2002 concerning the construction of the secret, the indoctrination of the seer during his stay in convent, in monastery, in Galicia, in north of Spain. It's the key interpretation, the key uh, facts that can explain all the constructions of the Fatima message in the way of uh, the Catholicism uh, related to the communism, the fraction, of course, the war between religion and Catholic session. And communism is very present in the message that was uh, inducted by the priests that was around it, the confessors of the Lucia in the monastery here in Galicia. So we can say that the message, the, the secret, was very continuous indoctrination of the Lucia during her stay here in north of Spain. The book is explaining all the details. Yeah. We can say even, we can say 
some details, including dates of message, the reception of message, contact of vision, were corrected in the documents by the two priests that was the counselors, the confessors of Lucia. It was an intervention, a direct intervention of the two priests in the reception of the alleged communication received by Lucia. So this uh, very important uh, historic fact that, of course, the believers, that that's matter, that's matter for the faith that are falling, but in historical meaning is a key interpretation in the key documents to, to understand the way Lucia in his following years here in north of Spain namely Vigo and Pontevedra, the two, two monasteries who she, she stayed within, and made her follow her, her, her way to emphasize the, the own interest of the Catholic Church, church that time. We are, we are talking in the years of the 1920s, the 20s, when communism, the party communism, who was arriving in the Soviet Union and uh, was pretending to, to grow around Europe, and not, uh, not only Europe, but around all, all the world. So it puts a great war, ideological war, between the, the fact of uh, Fatima was a preventing all to impede, to prevent the advances of the, the communism regimes and the, the communism doctrines in principle. Yeah, I, f- I find this very fascinating because in a sense here, we don't necessarily have a form of, you know, kind of high strangeness indoctrination, but rather of human indoctrination. It's um, yes, the Catholic yes, Church. Yes. It's the Catholic a Church. Heavy, a very heavy and continuous yeah. indoctrination by the two, the two priests that uh, was the, the daily presence around Lucia, around uh, more 10 years during yeah. her stays here in, so in I, of yes. Spain. So I really commend you on your work trying to strip away, you know, historical, theological embellishments and trying to get down at the core of what actually happened and what this interaction may have been like. And coming to this core, the objective core, what actually happened, I think what we probably can be certain of is that this being communicated to Lucia, that on the sixth meeting, something extraordinary would happen. Yes, yes. And perhaps we could now talk about this because it's an event that obviously um, is perhaps the biggest UAP case in, in Europe. Yeah. So. yeah. yeah. It's the uh, last and most important event of the, the series of a Fatima operation is when a dull silver disc and its physical effects are manifested in October 13, in 1917. It's an important uh, date, it's an important event, because we can consider in late ter- terms, not religious terms, uh, this is the first great close encounter with physical and objective uh, effects on the ground, on the, the people around the, the oak, uh, of course, uh, on the, the three little seers. It's a, a sign, the announced sign for everyone to believe 
that was been promised to Lucia by Our Lady in August. No one knew, knew its nature or form or kind of manifestation, but it ended up taking shape on October 13, around noon. There were many and diverse impressive descriptions by witness among the approximately 5,000 5, present who claimed to have observed unusual movements of the sun over Covadeiria, the name of the spot. Likewise, at the same time as the so-called solar phenomenon, sensation of heat, drying clothes and soil flooded by rain, and physiological effects, so-called instantaneous curious, were recorded. In fact, the behavior of the crowd in face of solar phenomenon of October produced different attitudes of emotion and hysteria. What is unknown, what is ignored, will always be a source of astonishment, and that takes us back to the primary survival reaction. We are in full control of the sacred, of the deepest mystery that subjugates the weak human condition. See this, this set of reaction from first-hand witness recollection at the time. So I can emphasize that this is first witness testimony, not third, fourth kind order of the replicated by other authors, not are only first-hand witness that we Consider here, consider here in the solar uh, manifestation of October. Anna Maria da Camera say, I see a very clear disc, blue silver without rays, which soon returning to his natural color begins to rotate vertiginously. Other angelic Pete de Moraes said, It immediately becomes like a matter silver disc returns on itself. Another guy said, the globe of the sun, similar to a made silver disc, revolve around an imaginary axis. A lawyer called a very important witness, José María Almeida Garret, a, a very important lawyer of Coimbra University, said, that pearl disc had the vertigo of movement. It's an interesting sensation. It was not the twinkle of a star in full life. It spun on itself at breakneck speed. An engineer, an engineer, Mario Gudinho, said it was a majestic magnetic disk that attracted us and revolved in the immense sky. Note this um, important detail, the uh, formation of the engineer, a magnetic disk that was appropriate to an engineer. The correspondent of the newspaper local, Raio de Luz, said, Suddenly, a luminous disc takes the size of a host as if it detached itself from the sun, or rather appear in front of it, visible descending to the crowd. In a figure you have there, here, in a figure we can see the maker area of the physical effects recorded by 28 first and testimonies of the so-called miracle sun in October 3rd. The triple effects involve sensations of sudden heat, as you see, immediate drying of clothes and instant cures when the sun descends solar objects over the crowd. These effects can be detected, as you see, 
and we can repeat, not not uh, spurious. We can be tested in the laboratory and compared with the action of a microwave emission. This is the proposal that uh, I and my colleague Dr. Raul Brangel proposed in uh, in the illustration you can you can show. Reports from the time are usually compared to atmospheric optical phenomena produced by the sun under certain conditions. The so-called solar halos or perihelion, a phenomenon resulting from the presence of small ice crystals suspended in the atmosphere and refracting sunlight. In these cases, the crystals are located in the high clouds, which moving in front front of the astro king, the sun, would give the illusion that uh, it would be the sun moving and not the other way around. Another interpretation of the movements of alleged sound, complex from a neurologic point of view, suggests possible effects on the retina resulting from longer exposure of the eyes and sunlight, probably, and admissible in some of the situations described here. Professor Messin, I, I note this kind of aspect, Professor Auguste Messin from the Lovain University in Belgium, is uh, subscribing this uh, this kind of hypothesis to explain the, the effects that speak, the people experience. There are, of course, certifying the plausible hypothesis on the current state of scientific knowledge. In addition to perceptual emotion contagion that stems from psychology of crowds and hallucinatory hypothesis, in the case of Fatima, the questions of the anticipation prediction of so-called miracle announcing in July 1917, which raised problems, not well as is to solve, remains unless with the help of chance of coincidence. However, in the case of October 13, a rational explanation that dispenses with an intentional action of unknown nature as a direct agent of the triple set of physical effects, notorious and simultaneous, exposed above, recorded by identified witness, becomes quite complex from among the present, the crowd present at covered area. So yeah. this is the, the global description of the so-called sun phenomena that uh, yeah. terrified the people who was knee at local and uh, subscribe the great dimension of the miracle idea transmitted, of course, by Lucia, previous to the, this event. Well, thanks a lot for this very comprehensive overview. So just to summarize and to get this straight into my head, so we have this event that took place. We have multiple witnesses suffered physical consequences. And concerning the movement of the sun, perhaps you could explain that a bit again, because or of the so-called sun, because I think it is quite an important point for our listeners as well, because I think what you have going on is a sort of mimicry, right? So you have something that's discoid, so it has the form of a disc, it's actually superimposed onto the sun, right? So that people initially can't see it, and then only through the movement can you actually see it, and then it comes down. Yes, it's important to emphasize that people, some people that that, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, quote it, emphasize the object detached from the sun itself. 
it was not the same now, of course, because it was the same. It couldn't prevent to be here now, nowadays, uh, to talk because it was a, a global disaster, of course. Another witness uh, that not uh, was quoted from the October uh, phenomenon, but the previous month, st- September, in the apparition of September 13, we uh, quoted here in our research a very important description because they are not uh, reproduced by any airplane enthusiast, rare in the time, of course, but by priests, two priests and members of the Catholic hierarchy that were present among the crowd. I subscribe this because they are an important witness produced in September 13, the September 13 apparition. It was a very important description produced by Monsignor Juan Quaresma, Vicar General of the Diocese of Leiria, one of the members of the Commission of Canonical Inquiry appointed by the bishop to evaluate the ongoing apparitions. He was accompanied there by another priest, and his testimony implied that it considered it natural, natural and admissible for the Virgin Mary to use a means of transport like any, any mortal. It's very interesting and curious. He wrote, In the blue sky, there was not a cloud. To my great admiration, I saw clearly and distinctly a luminous globe moving from east to west, gliding slowly and majestically through space. My friend had good fortune to enjoy the same enchanting apparition. What do you think of that globe? He pointed. I asked my friend. That was Our Lady. He, wa- he answered without hesitation. <laughs> it was also my conviction. The little shepherds contemplated the mother of gold herself. We, la- we had been able to contemplate the car <laughs> that had transported her from the sky to the inhospitable moor of the Serradai, the local of the apparition. It's an amazing description of two priests that time. Another statement still related to the September, September episode, such of that seminary, seminary in Joel de Deus Magno, provides new elements of strangeness about what happened in the amphitheater of Covderia at the moment when Lucia suggested the arrival of the lady of the home tree. He alleged that many many bystanders saw an oval a little more voluminous than an egg, white, bright and bright, with the white part facing downwards, described a long straight line and sky. The duration of the observation varies slightly depending on the perspective and attention of each one's presence. And there were those who claimed that strange device flying over the crowd was higher than it was wide. Dr. Jose Pereira James understood that when he heard voice around him exclaiming, you can't see anymore, you can't see it anymore. I understood that Lady Pest on Home Oak 3 was already talking to, to Lucia. Is a attachment when Lucia Silla at the end of the celestial encounter shooting. There it goes, there it goes. The aforementioned doctor raised his gaze in the direction indicate. 
I distinctly saw a luminous object moving away to east, an object taller than it was wide, luminous in fact, moving slowly wide with a certain speed until losing sight of it on the horizon, detailed this, this clinician, confirming the details on the, of the, the direction and speed taken by the unusual aerial object, as well as configuration of the same in apparent divergence from of description. Most likely, it's the same object that undergoes a rotation of 19 degrees in inch longitudinal axis, followed by another rotation in the transversal axis, also of 90 degrees, thus explaining the two perspectives, of course, in the different times. So this uh, complementary witness, a very, a very curious, <laughs> not spurious description, made substantially by two priests that incarnate, of course, that influenced, of course, by the religious interpretation, by the religious atmosphere, of course, that was present there. Yeah, but but nevertheless, it's a very nevertheless, um, they, they scientific. Could, they, could, they could make yes. a part is is formation, is conviction from the factual factual yes. of object that was the the transport and medium of the, the our lady. It's no, a, and it's an expression. <laughs> it's an amazing, amazing description. Amazing. Before wrapping wrapping this part up, what were the physical consequences with the main witnesses of the solar phenomenon? Because you already said they experienced drying of clothes, they had some exposure to heat. Um, were there any physical ailments? So did people become ill? Because I know that from a lot of UOP experiences, people either have, you know, good or bad physical experiences. Do we know anything about this in this case? No, during the time that we are, we are, could study the, the witness reports, uh, all, the, all the testimonies, but direct testimonies from the witness in first end. Of course, there are atmosphere of religious conviction. That was a miracle. Uh, some reports of cures, the health problems during the the, the solar manifestation. So, of course, can be understood as a psychomatic, psychomatic effects, perhaps, during the, that manifestation, some kind of headaches, mm-hmm. physical exposure. I, 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 we can subscribe some, some two, two or three exposure problems in the in skin that was cured, that, that was made, made uh, cured by the, the exposition to the phenomenon. But of course, uh, the global idea that remains that was a miracle manifestation, that was uh, a support from the convictions of all that people that was, was gathered there by the Lucia's announcements, of course. Yes. To wrap this up, I have two, in a sense, closing closing questions. So the one is that UFO, UAP um, experiences, and especially on this scale, rarely happen in isolation. So my question is, is there anything in Fatima to suggest that it is a place of high strangeness, like, you know, a certain ranch in North America, for instance? Is there something strange about it, about Fatima in general, or...? I think we can draw some conclusions. I made it in the last book, 
as outras Fátimas, the Ar Fátimas, as you know, I try to constantly contrast a kind of global theory of so-called Marian apparitions. And I follow the first um, sentence of the great Arthur C. Clarke when he said, any sufficiently advanced technology is not distinguishable from magic. <laughs> I think this is the core of the problem because, of course, we are in a, a subject ground, subject ground, with the, the predominant protagonist that is a child, that is an infant or pre adolescent in the verge of the verge of poverty, is a, a typical age of the range of the contactees that makes present in the age group of the visitors to Alice, Alice, Alice Wonderful World, of course. <laughs> that range between 6 and 12 years old with a certain predominance of females, of young females, of course. Uh, circumstantially, this threshold could go back at age of three, as was attested by an experience of a girl from another Portuguese apparition I see I quote in, here in this book in Bordinheira, municipality of Torres Vedras. It was a vision of a lady taller than her, taller the, 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 lady, the young, young lady, and was gradually descending wrapped in a mist while the flesh where the entity was. She had a very pretty, pretty face, but she wasn't smiling looking like she was in downhill and then stopped. Her lips did not move, but girl heard her as if sound came from outside. This entity, which over in the hair and suddenly disappeared, identified itself as our lady of peace and wanted, wanted people to sing a prayer to end the war. The context, of course, is, is very important in this kind of, uh, of manifestations and experience. A short visit that, that took the time necessary for she, she to express the, that sentence. So this group is very, very marked by these attributes. Their overfalling imagination, extrasensory perception, perception, the dramatization in which they often involve their imaginary partners, they are specific skills, that growth minimizes. Like Alice, they kept one foot on the other side of the mirror or going right through it. At night, the young seer Jacinta would sometimes see a, see a small woman on the edge of the attic trapdoor before going to sleep. So Jacinta seer will, will have experienced the classic infantile syndrome interrupted sleep, the fear that some unknown friend, a boy in tights, will appear in the room simply to play, the environment and ecosystem in which these children evolve. Solitude, the silence of the rural environment, and sunlight could add stimuli to the waking of these creative capacities. As in Fatima, in most Mary apparitions, according Jean-Claude Bourg, the regular recitation of the Rosary for, for children, establishing a regular respiratory rhythm, could favor the expansion of the field of consciousness, which in turn would act on psychic mechanisms innate. 
or metabolism is restored from circulation to the central nervous system and muscles, etc., and so on. A new window then opens on the threshold of the new singularity. So this is a new singularity created remarkable by this uh, place of age and kind uh, of uh, young ladies in the, in the is poverty. So this uh, the emergence of paranormal capacities of uh, the seers. This not uh, not news. I emphasize. I uh, I see this is very important to the whole core of uh, witness in Marian apparition as the contemporary contact close encounters in our days. I love the um, analogy of um, Alice in Wonderland, um, you know, being related to a UP case. I think that's fascinating. Never thought about it in that way. But um, there are, and I think Jacques Vallée came up with this idea yes. that the closer one gets to this phenomenon, the more ridiculous it appears. I think, and perhaps we can talk about this, Francisco, later. It's also, it raises the question of what actually constitutes data with a phenomenon like this because it seems to be very transient and very hard to, to tackle. So to summarize, Fatima then is part of a larger history of uh, Marian apparitions, which I suppose are still ongoing today. Is that correct? So do people still see them? Or is there now with the um, kind of more secular environment people are living in, have they become less frequent? Let's say that the... The lay presence, the lay secular manifestations are, of course, more important in nowadays. Not to say, of course, that the religious environment could not manifest, but I, I think today it is contemporary and secular dimension that are growing in the, our our countries in the, around the globe. The repertory of the this kind of approaches. As very, very, very near, very close to other, one, one of another, another, the religious and the not religious, the secular and not secular manifestations are very close. Is is a, a difference, of course, the context, the historical context, the the local context, as of course the the rural rule of Fatima in the poor Portugal, nineteen seventeen, that cannot be, I think so. Today, these events like Fatima Henry's rural expressions that could not be manifested today in our technological, scientific, secular manifestation in cultural atmosphere. atmosphere. So it's both a uh, kind of phenomenon that we reinterpret based on the history we're living in, yes, but that also, yes. uh, but that also adapts in kind of a feedback process yes. to our culture. So that I think that's very interesting. This uh, process of mimicry. And my final question for you, um, Joachim. I mean, for someone who's worked on this for the best part of forty years, what do you think the lasting legacy of Fatima is for you on a scientific and also personal level? I think um, we can see it is um, a part of a myth in progress. As you know, I follow very, very much the Jack Vallier proposals, of course, as these agents, interpreters of uh, the proposals, celestial staging in this modality is coming from a unique physical or energetic dimension. 
these uh, alleged mensages of deceit, as Ballet called, can be translated as um, some kind of ultra-terrestrial forms of consciousness and psychic parallel or divergent form of our space-time and capable of manipulating it, insinuating itself into our collective unconsciousness and identify itself with its interlocutors in terms of religious beliefs and associate cults in any kind of time, in a, a precious uh, cult, such, such a Marian devotion that is uh, a global, a very important devotion spread, as you know, by all the Catholic uh, world and uh, all, the, the, all the people that uh, believe that. So, uh, as Valé said, it could interpret the functions of a control system, as, as you call it. So I think this uh, demonstrations, the aerial, aerial atmospheric demonstrations, can be seen as a simple artifice of ostensive staging by the promoters of the apparition to make more dramatic and complex an exhibition of uh, this uh, phenomenon, as we, of, of course, identify contemporary as unidentified. They seek essential following of my ideas corroborated by Jacques Vallée, the submissive attachment of the crowds through wonder and prodigy, weapons of eternal immutable magic. Again, the return of the well-known formula of the sacred, like was described by Rudolf Otto, for example. So this kind of interpretation, of course, I'm not subscribing my, exporting my ideas and my convictions is uh, primarily historical research on documents. Our research is that, a historical documents that was not uh, extensively studied and firstly compared, it, compared it with our days and the manifestations of our days. We at last discovered some astonishing similarities that can, can be occulted or, or ignored. Well, thank you so much, Joachim. You've done an amazing piece of work there for, for the field in general and for Fatima in particular. Where can people find you? Let's say we're interested more to learn more about Fatima. I mean, there will be links in the description, but where, if do you have a website, where can people find you? Okay, the, the, the library is online. Uh, mm-hmm. In Portugal, uh, they, they expose the, the book, the As Outras Fatimas, The Other Fatimas. Of course, unfortunately, unfortunately it is in Portuguese. <laughs> I can say that is not a great, uh, great language to the public in general, but of course, uh, someone can can read Portuguese. Some uh, our friends as Brazilians and, and so on, and of course, uh, someone else that can study Portuguese can achieve uh, in this uh, this book some guidelines to a new interpretation of this kind of phenomena, both secular, both re- religious. Perfect. Yeah, and I'll make sure to include the link <laughs> in the um, description. I appreciate, Great. of course, all the, your force to, to expose and show the, uh, my last book because uh, it's essential uh, 
a great reflection, a last great reflection of the, on the, this uh, complex subject, of course. Yes, yes. I hope I hope that uh, any more people can study it and apprehend some some new data from from that. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, perhaps just as a, as a final word here. Um, I also really commend you on being so transparent with the data because I have your three books, the original ones on, on Fatima and, and, and they include all the data so that future generations of researchers can actually also work with them, which kind of neatly brings us actually to the uh, Stella project and you, Francisco, okay. because um, so. you are kind of looking into the future as it were and um, paving the way for, for uh, more scientific engagements with the uh UAP phenomenon. Francisco, could you perhaps, for our listeners who probably might not be aware of what the Stella Project is, give a brief overview of when you were founded, what your mission is, etc.? Well, first of all, thank you for, for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here talking to you and to, to your audience. The Stella Project is basically an evolution from other Portuguese projects mainly also founded by Professor Joaquim Fernandes back in the 70s when the, the UFO phenomena was being very enthusiastically lived through the, the, the Portuguese public. And when also the armed forces in, in Portugal were less dependent on the political narrative, the political establishment, and they were open to the discussion and so Professor Joaquim Fernandes and, and his, his team back in the day, uh, they were able to contact the armed forces through the person, which was the general José Lemos Ferreira, who had a sighting in, in 57, a 40-minute period uh, sighting with other pilots. He was intrigued back then. He was interested in the phenomena, and he opened the possibility of civilian researchers to be able to get in touch with the pilots, to be at the bases, the Air Force bases, to interview the pilots. This this all happened in late 70s, beginning of the 80s, so more or less a pioneer situation across the globe, right? This team that throughout the years took different, not shapes, but the members of the team, some of them left, some others entered, but it was a multi, the idea was for a multidisciplinary approach to the phenomena. And also with the vision of the need for the academia, for the universities to be present also and to have a word in the research. And so basically, Teller is more or less a, an evolution from that vision as well. Also to have a, a a broader view what, what about the stellar and, and the what led to to the development of stellar i need also to talk about icer the international coalition for extraterrestrial research so this as you know on the 16th of december of 2017 you had uh, the new york times had an article by leslie keen eileen cooper and ralph blumenthal uh, talking about atip and the, the advanced aerospace Threat Identification Program and the role of Luis Elizondo as the head of that department. They also mentioned Eric, Dr. Eric Davis 
as uh, also being connected to the research and they had samples of UFO debris and also they, they had studied the physiological effects on witnesses of UFO encounters. This led, as you know, uh, throughout the 2018, 2017, uh, the Navy in the U.S. had uh, implemented a line of report for pilots to address their, their sightings. And you also started to have hearings in the Congress, the Senate, etc. So the politicians in the U.S. wanted to know exactly what was this all about. Was the UAP, the UFO, and well, UAP is a term that the, the British started to use in the 80s, and now the Americans yes. discovered it, and they are talking yes. about it. Can, can we perhaps just go back to the late 1970s in Portugal? Because it's something that really fascinates me when you said that there was it was an era of excitement about the topic, because that seems to be um, you know, a sort of divergence from how the topic has been traditionally treated, especially in the um, US-UK context. So how can we make sense of this, that Portugal was more open to this topic? Well, I don't maybe maybe it's a, a cultural thing, but it was it was just something that was discovered back then. You know that we live we went through a dictatorship, a 40-year period of dictatorship. And so in 74 there was a revolution, a civil revolution, a pacific revolution, but the regime was changed. And so during the dictatorship, of course, information was very restricted. And so people were relearning everything, not rediscovering the world, basically. And the information started to flow coming from the outside, coming from... And so, yeah, there was a, a rediscovery of, of UAP, of UFOs. So th there were already, back in the 60s, some researchers that did some work, but always with the fear of being persecuted, of being arrested, because they were they would be talking about something out of the uh, the normal uh, situation, so they could be persecuted by the state police. So in the late seventies, yes, there was some some euphoria about new things, and so this allowed, for instance, I think it was in nineteen seventy eight that uh, the the first Iberian UFO Congress that was organized here in Porto. It was in the, the Faculty of Economics from the University of Porto. Like a thousand people attended. And right now, if, if you want to do a, a UFO Congress in nowadays, you may have 100 people with luck. <laughs> yes, so. very, very true. That's why we need to get the word across that important topic. Absolutely. Yeah. So sorry, I interrupted you with your summary of how the Stella project came about. I think we've just, just reached very important year 2017 yeah. and kind of the ramifications of that out of which then important. Basically, 2017 era. was the removal of the stigma or the start of the removal of the stigma. You started to have more discussion. And yes, the U.S. has been seen always as the beacon, right, of ufology. And so when, when this happened, we understood that other geopolitical interests also became interested. What is happening in the U.S.? And so China and Russia also, of course, they have researched this for many years. But with this opening of the Pandora box, 
there was a, a group from China, and I believe it's, it was connected to the government. They promoted a meeting in Moscow. It was called the, the, the Five Continents Forum. It was to discuss several things from across the globe, but one part mainly focused on UAP. And so they invited several researchers across the globe. Not everyone went, but many went there. There was not a worksheet, so people didn't know exactly what they were going to, but they they presented a, a, a vision of an international organization that they wanted to be headquartered in China. And so basically they wanted everyone to feed information for them. Everyone was more or less excited, etc. But the months went by and they went silent. They never replied to emails or calls, etc. And so the, and the pandemic started. We were all confined. And we realized, well, this network is already established, so we can start working with what we have. And we started having Zoom meetings let me say that the, the exopolitical movement, especially the European one, which is quite different from the, the, the American one, had uh, Skype meetings regularly, like every 15 days since 2009. So we already had some how to work as a team since 2009. And so part of this group, especially the Europeans, were also connected to, to the rise of, of ICER. And so through a general vote, it was an unanimous vote to register uh, this organization that we envisioned here in Porto, Portugal. So on the 27th of May of 2021, after many works of like weekly meetings, preparing everything, and it was a very bureaucratic workload in terms of certifying all the signatures and documents, etc., through the embassies of every country, etc. It was very, <laughs> so it was very complex. On the 27th of May, uh, me and Professor Joaquin, we went to the, uh, to the local conservatory and registered ICER. So ICER has members from 30 countries in six continents. It comprises academics and researchers uh, from across the globe. That led me also to reach out to the group that existed or was not CTEC, which is the Center for Transdisciplinary Studies of Consciousness at the University of Fernando Pessoa. So it's a think tank, a research department inside the university. It was also an evolution from past groups. Nowadays, it was a little bit more dormant. And so I reached out to the department and we had in the Exopolitic Portugal group, we had worked in the past close to them. And so I reached out to them and I said, well, we can maybe use this international group to promote more serious research. And that's how Stellar was born. Uh, We made a proposal to the dean of the university. We talked with uh, the researchers. We made contact with other academics from different universities in Portugal, University of Coimbra, uh, Lisbon, Braga, Vila Real. And we have people from the natural sciences and the social sciences, people from the mathematics and physicists and psychiatrists and philosophers, etc. So there's a, a wide approach to the phenomenon. 
And as we say, uh, saw with Fatima, I think that wide approach is really necessary because exactly. it's a very, very complex phenomenon. So is it fair to say then that Stella is a project primarily focused on research, on academic research into UAPs, or does it have as its mission statement also to well spread the word about UAPs and have more of a kind of public policy functionary? That, that's more... That's more- I would say it's more the, the, the mission of ICER to start mm. preparing the public to less stigma and a more serious discussion about the phenomena and also have some activism in terms of reaching out to the governments and see the documents being shared to the public. Okay? That's, that's mm. more the mission of ICER. In terms of Stellar, is more the research. It's more of a think tank not only about the UFO, but about all the phenomena that comes with the UFO. And like you said, they gave the example of Dr. Jacques Vallée, who, since from early in the beginning of his research, he comprehended that the phenomena is much more than the simple hypothesis of extraterrestrial visitors. It's more about what is reality, right? Where are we immersed in? Exactly. I think this brings brings us to a very important point because I've, I've worked in academia myself for quite a number of years. And one thing I always really hated was writing funding proposals, you know, <laughs> but you have to do it. So the question here now is where does the money come from? Because it is a very complex academic pursuit where you don't have data that perhaps in a classic sense qualify for how can I say it's not peer review but in I think we need to refine our methodology of what we're actually studying and dealing with so what is the funding landscape what do you have any projects already in place to fund components of um, whatever the stellar project is doing yeah that's exactly funding money is always a problem especially in this area of course for instance in ICER we have the members that can make their annual fee donations for for the organization, of course, and that's our main budget. Also, we try to reach out to other organizations or civilians that may be interested in being like patrons to the organization. The same thing applies to Stellar. Although we do indeed have and had in the past, and especially with the team with Professor Joaquin Fernandes, there were some people from other areas of research that saw the UFO phenomena as as credible enough to put money for research and other ventures connected to it. So that was possible in the past, and it is possible also nowadays. There's open an open door for, at least here in Portugal, to have some money flowing to fund research. Research in, term, in terms of, for instance, what are the rules of the altered states of consciousness in regard to the phenomena, for instance? That's where it is more easily to get funding to the study of the phenomena. There are two or three cases in, uh, currently going on. Other areas of research in terms of the sociological impact, in terms of not only of high strangeness, but also of the sightings itself, what qualifies? For a UFO, it's just 
like we have a small phenomenon. It's very specific phenomenon that we can see here in the north parts of Portugal and in some inner country areas, which is small. They call it like the um, little souls because it's a very small light that goes on through the, the forest. You know, people oh, like a, like a fairy light. More or less, yes. Yeah, interesting. So for yeah. instance, yeah. 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 Does, yeah. Th- does that qualify as a UFO, right? <laughs> Indeed, yeah. But I think it's, it's very true what you said, and also a bit ironic, because I, I myself have a social science background, and I think it might be easier actually to get funding for these sorts of projects from that angle, because in the social sciences, it doesn't really matter, or it's not primarily important whether there's an objective reality to what you study, because you study the effects and what people say about it. And I think okay. um, you can see that with what Dr. Pasolka has been doing mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. American Cosmic. I think it's a very, very good approach because through that angle, it is possible to get funding and also to bring public awareness to this topic. Where I do see, in terms of research, issues is with a classic uh, natural sciences approach, A, because they tend to be quite expensive, and B, also because I'm not really sure with this phenomenon if they're going to produce the results that we really want in the sense that what are they going to clarify? I think you know, the um, research questions for this phenomenon are so broad at the moment that perhaps we need to start from a more kind of philosophical social sciences point of view and then narrow in on kind of the expensive natural science questions we want to actually ask. Yeah. Uh, no, exactly, because... There may not be just one answer to the question. There may be many answers, right? And we may be missing a very big part of the scenario because we are not prepared physiological to deal with it, right? It's something that will always escape us because we are not still formatted. Like even Jeffrey Cripple, and with Retriever, with their book, excellent book, Supernatural, it's quite interesting to see how the phenomena or the interpretation of the phenomena adapts in terms of the current paradigm. Right? For instance, you have in thir- in, on the year uh, 312, the conversion of Constantine, right? Where he sees the cross in the sky and lets him to convert to Christianism and is a major factor in terms of the the establishment of the, the Christian church, right? But he saw some kind of a cross in the sky. 1139, uh, there's a, a big battle here in Portugal uh, for uh, still for the independence, uh, fighting with the Moors coming from, from North, Northern Africa. And our first king sees a cross. And because of that, he's motivated to, and he wins a big battle, which is a major, major uh, situation here. 1229, the vision of St. Francis of Assis, right? Also sees a cross, etc. And you go to Fatima, and people see crosses also in the sky. Until yes. then, it's a religious, it's a religious interpretation. But from then on, it's more UFOs, it's more extraterrestrial. So it's an adaptation yeah. of the same phenomena, right? Yes. 
especially in the US where you don't, well, I, I guess in the US you do have very strong religious currents, but I think the technocratic, you know, kind of objective focus on reality, at least how it's portrayed as always the dominant one. And I think in the US, right from, you know, right from Arnold's first sightings, mm -hmm. you always had this focus on kind of, you know, the nuts and bolts mm -hmm. kind of issue. And um, so I think there's a lot of truth to how, you know, on the one hand, it's how we interpret the phenomenon, but on the other hand, there's also this feedback system to how the phenomenon then responds to us. And I mean, the other classic example. And, are the and what ghost. you were saying uh, a yeah. few minutes ago, the difference of methodology, the natural science going to a more a quantitative methodology and the, nat the, 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 the social sciences, a qualitative methodology. And so we have to fit both and not only see the hard data, but also see the quality of the witness, the quality of the testimony, etc. That Because, for instance, if you go to court with someone, e even if you yes. don't have the real piece that, right, you can rely on the witness testimony still, right? Exactly yeah. the same thing. We need to approach Absolutely. this in a very more broader perspective. Absolutely. So, Kind of getting funding and putting up research proposals, et cetera, is one, one part of the equation. But the other one is also to find kind of channels and outlets where you can publish this research. And so I think before the podcast started or during the podcast, I can remember you said that you recently were part of the launch conference for Limina. Is that correct? Uh, um, no, 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 no. No, we, we we were invited to participate uh, in, in the Limina, yes. in the Limina symposium organized by the Society of UAP Studies. Uh, Doctor right. Michael Chiffon yeah. reached out to us, and he, of course, he mainly wanted. Uh, he knew the work done by Joaquin Fernandez about Fatima, and we also had like uh, right now uh, allowing us to to talk about Stellar, and yeah, we we talked about talked about Stellar and. Also, because in ICER, we are right now with the Project Titan, which is trying to revive the 1978 initiative with the UN. Back in 78, Sir Eric Gary, the, the Prime Minister of Grenada, he tried to have the UFO phenomenon discussed at the UN. So the idea was to have an agency from the UN that would study this, this phenomenon. In the end... There was a decision made, the decision 33-426, that invited members to study the phenomena and share their conclusions, which, which was, was a little bit different from the initial goal. And right now, we, with San Marino, the government of San Marino, we presented this project in, on September 2021, where Lou Elizondo was also a witness to this process. And he has been helping us as well, and Chris Mellon and Dr. Jack Palais. We proposed this to the to the government, to the San Marino. And right now, in on the 19th of January of 2023, the, there was a, a, a meeting inside the government. They approved this project. So it is going to be presented and discussed in a general assembly of the UN. So we are right now preparing and we will need all the support from everyone in the broader society to make this happen. And we are yeah. having meetings to exactly prepare the best strategy to reach the, the goal that we want.
Yeah, I hope the podcast can make a contribution to this. <laughs> well, indeed. <laughs> a modest, just, a modest just one, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Coming back to Lemina, it's a great project to have a, a peer-reviewed journal set up for UEP issues. Are there any has uh, have um, um, issues already been published? Um, yeah, there's going are there to volumes be volumes yeah, already uh, in circulation, or the minutes of the uh, the Lemina symposium are going to be published, if I'm not mistaken. And they want to have also a peer-reviewed publication. I don't know exactly the regularity of it, but it, it, will, it will definitely happen. And that's their main goal. They will be promoting also, from my, what I understood, some lectures, online lectures, with different approaches from the natural sciences and the social sciences. But I think the best way to, to have the idea what is indeed Limina and, and the Society for UP Studies would be to talk to Dr. Mike Siphon. He would probably, yep. I know he will yes. be in Germany right. in June. He will be in France and probably here in Portugal as well. Oh, perfect. Might have to get him on the podcast. Excellent. Can you share any concrete deliverables, results of research that has been done by Stella? Are there ongoing projects with ongoing results or is it still more well, in the planning We have phase? not published any results so far. There mm. have been some studies being done, especially again with the altered states of consciousness. Yes. And... Yes, we will try to have it published. I don't know when exactly. We don't have a timeline for that, but that's a goal, of course. We need to also to present results, of course. <laughs> if, yes. if this is, it's not only the name, we need to work, and we have been working more because it's that the members are spread across Portugal, so, so we have Zoom meetings with some regularity, but it's more than that, of course, and we, we will try to publish something Maybe next year. I don't know. I don't know exactly when. And with the altered states of consciousness, in the sense of that they are the result of UAP encounters or that they facilitate UAP encounters, because I think there are two angles to this. So that perhaps, you know, individuals like Lucia, for instance, from Fatima, had a certain predisposition to actually being able to experience these yes, phenomena. What's the role of consciousness in all of this? Yes, That's the big yes. question. Right. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Is is the phenomena just what's the role of the observer in relate to the phenomena, and what is reality? So yes. there, <laughs> it's yeah, highly I think, complex. Yes, I think that that is the overarching question. And um, personally, I I am very um, enthralled by this entire Skinwalker Ranch phenomenon. I think it is um, problematical how the in the sense that it's been portrayed by the media at the moment and also with this docu as well, pseudo-documentary. I think it's doing more harm than anything else. But if you look at both Skinwalkers at the Pentagon and Hunt for the Skinwalker, I mean, these are essentially, perhaps with Jack Vallée's books, the only books you really need to read to, in my opinion, to, to grasp the complexity of it. And that's why I was also very excited to have Joachim on this, on this first podcast to discuss Fatima because it's similarly complex, involving consciousness, close encounters, mass, a mass UP sighting. Yeah, and I think the only common denominator it boils down to is the role of human consciousness. And until we have understood that, I think it's going to be very complex to, to make further progress here. Exactly. No, yeah. you said it all, of course. Uh, that's that's yeah. exactly it. And, and, and Fatma is a good example. Although the skinwalker 
is something that is manifesting throughout time. Uh, yes. Fatima happened once, although, like Joaquin was, was saying with his latest book, The Other Fatimas, where he identified at least 52 apparitions throughout time in history, only in Portugal. So similar situations, some of them very similar to what happened on the 13th of October, 1917. So that miracle of the sun, there are at least two other examples very similar, but not maybe with not so many witnesses. So the, the, the impact was not as big. But yes, it's very complex. I mean, it's a six-month period of yes. manifestations. Right? Yes, no, absolutely. And um, I think just to, to wrap this up, it brings us back to um, kind of the old but very important question, what constitutes data? Because I think both Fatima, Skinwalker, and other UP um, cases yes there is a nuts and bolts aspect to them but that's definitely not all and i think until we've grappled with this the role that human consciousness plays in that then it's going to be very very difficult because for instance so i'm just putting myself in the shoes of you know someone who's you know let's say in the european research council trying to approve you know funding for a project and then i get data like the ones at skinwalker ranch you know where things just happen but you never record them because the phenomenon or whatever intelligence it is boycotts any attempt to come up with uh, scientific conclusions i think that's that that is very difficult if we pursue this agenda of trying to narrow it down with objective data and it's something hopefully you know as this podcast is progressing i will be able to talk more about with different researchers because it's something that really is at the root of how we do science the entire epistemological framework behind it but listen francisco you've been a uh, very generous with your time um it's <laughs> no i, I only can can thank you because we need to spread the word and it's through this type of podcasts that we can make our work known to the other publics of course and motivate people also to be more interested in researching and knowing more so I can only thank you for your time and your interest and for the invitation, of course. And yeah. wish you the best success in your podcast. Thanks a lot. On a closing note, where can people find you? Do you have a website, perhaps on the Stella website? Or uh, where are you? I have several websites. Mm -hmm. ICER is ICER.network. It's an institutional website, so there are, no, there are some news, but it's mainly institutional. If you want to know more about Project Titan, you can find everything there. Stellar is stellar.com.pt. It's mainly in Portuguese. There are some things in, in English and Spanish where you have the, the coordination team, the scientific council, and the, the advisory council. I think we are 35 in a whole, uh, mainly Portuguese people from different universities, like I said, and from different areas of knowledge and you have the, the exopolitics portugal which is exopoliticsportugal.com also an institutional or website where you also find some information uh, with joaquin fernandez etc so we've been collaborating and that's that's it basically perfect and i'll make sure to um, put a link to the stellar project and uh, isa in the description great Thank thanks a lot francisco and hopefully see you again soon yeah you too bye-bye right. bye-bye